Hey everyone! Welcome to the RUF at TC podcast. RUF is a community on campus learning about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. For more information about and ways you can support RUF at TCU, please visit ruf.org slash TCU. I mentioned that book uh, by Eugene Peterson. I'll go ahead and say this too, that I am standing on the shoulder of, shoulders of giants uh, this semester. And so both for integrity and so that you can have other resources should you want them. I want to just make you aware of the folks that I've kind of been listening to and reading from. And if you want to know more, I can give them to you. But a few folks that are worth mentioning. There's a pastor in South Carolina. His name is Brian Habig. I've been list- I have been love his stuff. Another pastor, a former pastor. He's in Oxford, Mississippi. He got him Les Newsom. He's been wonderful. A man in L.A. I think it's the uh, Malibu area, downtown L.A. area. A guy named by the name of Rankin Wilburn. Those three men's sermons are fantastic on this book, and if you want to learn more, you can find more on their podcast, which, by the way, we have a podcast, appropriate time to announce it. If you want to look for it, iTunes or Spotify, it's there. And then lastly, not only Peterson, but two other major commentaries, a guy by the name of Greg Beal, and then a man by the name of Peter Lightheart. These are people that I would love to point you to if you would like to learn more. Okay, end of disclaimer. If you have your Bible, let's read it. But before we do, question for you. Have you ever had something right under your nose, but you couldn't see it? Maybe it was your keys, right? Maybe it was the glasses on your face. I don't know. Maybe it was a problem on a test. Or maybe it was a person. Maybe that new hairdo or the hat that they were wearing made them unrecognizable at first. I think we've all had some experience like that. Here's my question for you. What made you see them? What made it click? And what was that like, right? was it like to actually see them, to see them or that thing that was there all along, but for whatever reason was not apparent to your eyes in the moment? Just think about that as we read this text tonight from Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. So let's read this together. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And then verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray and ask God to help us tonight as we seek to understand his word. Lord, we're so thankful 
That You've not left us in the dark. That You've not left Your children as orphans, but rather You call us Your own. And so it is on that basis, through Jesus, that we come to You now and ask that You would open up our hearts. Or do we know that apart from the, the Holy Spirit illuminating this text to us and showing us what it has to say, that we will remain in the dark. And so would you be kind to us tonight and show us your mercy? Would you teach us and be our guide tonight? And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Well, in 1947, a boy of 16 years old was eating lunch at his high school. And upon receiving the change from the purchase of his meal, he sat and he ate. And to make a long story very, very short, he lived the rest of his life. Little did he know, though, that ordinary lunch would, that, uh, that that ordinary lunch would change his family's life forever. Don Lutz Jr. was his name. He passed away last September, actually. After working hard all of his life, he passed on, though, quite an inheritance to his family. They stand to inherit close to $2 million, but it wasn't because of his income. Let me see if I can explain. You see, in 1943, four years earlier, when he was 12 years old, the United States was at war in World War II. And in an attempt to provide for wartime necessities, things like ammunition, ammunition casings and telephone wire, the United States government um, was re a really rationed copper. Things like copper were used to those ends. And this meant that the U.S. Treasury and the U.S. Minting Service used steel that year, 1943, for their pennies. I've actually got one of them, and I'll tell you what it's worth. One cent. That's how much it's worth. But pennies were being minted. A few copper blanks were pressed on accident. Less than 50 of them. And on that day, as Don Lutz was holding his sandwich in one hand, in the other, in his other hand, he held one of those rare copper 1943 pennies. And that penny is now up for auction and is expected to fetch close to $2 million. Now, why do we love a story like that? Like, why do we just love it? Well, at least I do, okay? And here's why. I think it has to do with the fact that there is something there, something before our eyes that is much more than our eyes can tell us. A penny, a red cent, and yet that penny was valued at over 100 million times what it's worth on the surface. Right, right there. And when we were made aware of it and what it was really is, we're shocked, aren't we? That things are different than they appear. Its value was something greater than what our senses could tell us. Well, if you like stories like that, I got news for you. I got great news for you, in fact. Stories that show us these, these true things. If you like things, stories like this, then let me tell you, you are in for a treat this semester. For that is what the whole book of Revelation is about. Put simply, it is a book that shows us what is real and what is really good at that, even though our eyes might not see it. And this is good news, right? Because 
We need to know things that we can't always see. I mean, think about it. You know this from your experience. Think about a test, right? A test that you've completed, you thought you've bombed, but you don't know the grade for yet. What's it like when you check the posted scores and you got an A? Or a medical diagnosis. You're waiting. Great news, the doctor calls. The tumor is benign. You're going to be just fine. Or perhaps there's that moment when you find out the boy that you've been crushing on does in fact secretly admire you as well. And did you know that at the heart of the book of Revelation is a story just like this? Did you know that? You see, here's the thing. We need to see things that we can't presently see. And that is exactly what the book of Revelation is. Look with me at verse 1. Verse 1 tells us right out of the gates that the word revelation right there, this is a revelation. Do you see it there? It's the second word, the revelation. Okay, And that word revelation in the Greek is the word apocalypsis. It's where we get our word apocalypse. So sometimes in your Bibles, you'll actually see it printed as the apocalypse of John. Okay, It's the revelation of John. And now when we think of apocalypse though, we tend to think of things like a big decimating event, right? Perhaps something like a war to end all wars, something cataclysmic. If you've ever read Cormac McCartney's The Road, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? But that's not how the word is to be used or understood when John uses it. Rather, instead of an apocalypse, right? Instead of an apocalypse rather, or a revelation is to unveil or to show what is present but can't be seen, right? It's the $1.7 million penny. And you see, in its original context, it actually meant something like this. It means to lift the lid off of something, right? So imagine for a second you walk into the kitchen and you smell a wonderful soup being cooked. You walk over to the pot on the stove, you lift the lid off, you see its contents, right? You've just experienced an apocalypse in John's sense. Or, if you remember that scene from The Wizard of Oz, when they pull back the curtain and they see that the wizard is what? Just a little man behind a microphone, right? That's been an apocalypse. That's the way that John uses the word. So John, who is the same John, by the way, who wrote the Gospel of John and the letters of John in the New Testament, intends the book of Revelation, and this is so key, to reveal, to show several things. And tonight we're going to consider two things from the text. I'll get you to turn your eyes up there. I'm looking for my little clicker here. I think it's around here somewhere. Here it is. Yep. So tonight I want us to consider two things. First, what is, and then secondly, how it shows it. What and how. That's my two main points for tonight. Let's take a look first at what Revelation shows. Okay? Let's take a look. So, what would it be like Wouldn't it be amazing if John, the writer, would just simply tell us and not leave us in suspense about what all the images and pictures of the book of Revelation are about? No suspense, John. Just take the guesswork out of it for us. And I've got good news for you. He actually does just that. Did you know that? Look at verse 1. Here it is. The revelation of Jesus Christ. There it is. Sweet. The book of Revelation. Pause for a moment. Can we all agree this semester? 
We're going to do a big fat pinky swear on this. We're not going to say the word revelations. It's one, okay? So I'm trying to help you out, okay? Revelation, okay? One of them. Here's what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation is about Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, not only about Him, but it's also from Him. So He is the source of the revelation, but He's also the content of it and the point of it. It's all about Jesus. That's what this book is about. And John's point is to make things clear, to reveal to us, to take the lid off, to show us Jesus, who He is, and the work that He has done for us on our behalf. And as we're going to see more next week, He is showing us in a way that no other book in the whole Bible does who Jesus presently is for us. What He is like right now. So why is this so important? Here's why. Because if you have any familiarity with the book of Revelation, you know that it is full of symbolism and imagery. And do you know for about the past 200 years, there has been a way of reading the book that tends to look at that symbol and that imagery and map them on, map them out in such a way that they map over the events of world history according to those things. So, for example, Revelation becomes a book primarily about the end times. So things like locusts become about Apache helicopters. Or the Antichrist is Hitler, or Putin, or Trump, or Obama. And the fact of the matter is, is that's not at all how to read Revelation. So I would like to suggest to you, all semester long, here it is, if you can keep this in front of you, it'll be like a map to help you, that the book is less about end-time prophecies and more about present-day realities. Let me say that again. The book is less about end-times prophecies and more about present-day realities. Life as it is right now. Revelation is about Jesus' present reign and rule. It is about His life, death, resurrection, ascension, and why these things matter so profoundly for us today. Which brings me to verse 3 when I talk about what it is, right? What it, what it reveals. Verse 3 tells us that it is, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And that is true. But biblical prophecy has more to do with foretelling than foretelling future events. Prophecy is much more of a thus saith the Lord. Here is something that is for you today. This is how God is calling us to live now, right? Then these are the things that will happen. To be sure, God, uh, in, in the text, as we read, there are plenty of things that Jesus say is to come. But the dominant feature of the book is something that is dealing with the right now, who Jesus is now and what He has done for us. So, to be sure, Revelation is full of images and symbols, and we'll see why in a, in a little bit. But those symbols aren't for hiding things. They're there to reveal, and that's the point of the book. John is saying, the book is about showing you Jesus. And my aim for us this semester is to reveal, not to conceal. If those of you who remember the Christmas movie we just come over from the holidays, um, the Christmas story, you remember what? That secret decoder ring. Drink your Ovaltine, right? 
Well, here's the thing. You don't need a secret decoder ring to read the book of Revelation. That means you can put away your charts and your maps. It's real simple. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus reigning and ruling for us. That's what this book is all about. Things are not hidden. They are shown. They are revealed. So who is He and what He has done? Look at verse 5. Did you catch it there? He says this, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. I love that. That's one of the very few times where we find in Scripture about the Bible saying that God loves us. Do you know that? It talks about God loving people, God loving the world, John 3.16. But it's right here in verse 5 that we find the words that He loved us. And what else? He freed us. He freed us from our sin. That is what Revelation is about. Not Apache helicopters and discerning the exact identity of the beast. So what does this mean for us? Very simple. I'm just going to say this. I'm inviting you to consider from the outset of this series to consider that Jesus is at the center of all reality. That's a bold claim. John is saying that what sits at the very heart and center of all reality is a Lamb who was slain, who loves us and who has freed us. And I just want to say, you are putting something at the center of your world. For some, it's your academic achievements. For some, it's your relationships. Others of you are concerned about your future, your graduating seniors. And these seem to be the very thing around all of our life orbiting. And what I'm saying is, is to understand the book of Revelation. I'm asking you to consider this semester. I'm asking you to consider that Jesus sits at the center of reality. And that's what John wants to make known. So I invite you to come back each week. Put it on your calendar and organize your life. Yes, your busy schedule around hearing from Jesus in this book. There is blessing here. Will you hear it? Will you hear it? So the book of Revelation is a showing of Jesus, of how He is right now, and we'll see that more next week. It's not a secret message to be decoded. We can put away, like I said, our maps and our charts. It's about how Jesus is presently reigning. So how are we to read it? That takes me to my second point, how it shows. I've said, first of all, what it shows, and now I want to show you how it shows us what it shows us. So in other words, how does it show us Jesus? That's what I'm trying to get at in this point. And John tells us. Anyone familiar with the book knows that it's loaded with imagery and symbolism. And this is highly intentional. Why? Y'all, John is a poet. He's a poet. Yes, he's a theologian. And we're going to see next week he's a pastor. But he's also a poet. You see, and he uses words to leave an impression on you, not just to inform you. You see, John's trying to get at underneath your intellect. He's trying to tap into something underneath what you're thinking to get at your imagination, to get deeper at the gut level. And that's what these images are all about. Look look with me in this. Let me show you some of these images that begin to emerge here in this text. Let me show you how they work. Okay, so verse 6, it tells us what? That He made us a kingdom. So think about that. People being a kingdom? That seems weird. What's that about? What does it mean that 
that people are like a kingdom. Or the same verse says this, that we're priests, right? Most of you have never even thought about being a priest. But do you know that if you're connected with Jesus, you're seen as being a priest? And this is one I'll spend some time on. Look at verse 7, where it says this, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, or on the clouds. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus, when He returns, and be rest assured that He will, that He's somehow floating on these large cumulonimbus clouds when He comes to us? Now, you might think so. Until what? Until you read Daniel chapter 7 from the Old Testament. There we're told that there is one coming like a son of man, and to him, here it is, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. That his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom... One that shall not be destroyed. But do you know in the verse right before it, we are told this, that I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Do you know how Jesus refers to himself? Son of man. All throughout the Gospels. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. What am I trying to show you? These clouds are glory clouds. They're clouds of glory. Think of smoke. Think of that picture in Isaiah chapter 6 where the incense is burned in the heavenly sanctuary and it's filled with that. And what this is saying is that when Jesus returns, He will return in glory on the clouds as it were. This is not talking about cumulonimbus. So we have to understand that there's imagery here that's being used to show us something about the King of Kings who will have dominion over everything. the way this works. You see, the cloud language is telling us about Jesus' glory and His forever reign and rule. And you go, oh, that's what it's about. And John readers would have exactly said the exact same thing. Why? Because they were steeped in their Old Testaments. But here's my point. John doesn't just say, Jesus will be king. No, that's true. Instead, he says, he's coming on the clouds. Why? Same thing. Because it's meant to engage your imagination and to leave you with an impression like a good artist would do, far more solid in your being than a straightforward saying that Jesus is king. This is what great poets do. This is a genre issue. John is using the genre, here it is, of apocalyptic. It's a type of literature that he is using to make impressions on all of us. You see that? That's what he's doing. So, here's why he's doing it. It's imagistic language meant to get at your gut, at your affections, at your loves. Let me give you an example. And this really highlights the power of the imagination. When I was in college, when I was in your shoes, one of my favorite movies was Quentin Tarantino's, the same uh, director, writer of uh, Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, The Hateful Eight, Kill Bill. Well, my movie was Reservoir Dogs. Now, if you've ever seen it, there is this particularly brilliant and yet harrowing scene in the middle of it where there's two men, one of them is a cop, one is sort of this, this bad guy, 
and the cop is captured. He's being he's taped up, taped to his chair, chair, and the bad guy cuts off his ear. Now, how many of you have ever seen that scene? Ever seen that? Okay, great. Ma'am, my cultural references are dying quickly. Thank you for raising your hands on that. Technically, if you've seen the movie, you've never seen the scene. And here's what I mean. In a brilliant piece of filmmaking, Tarantino does something with the camera. Right as the man begins to cut the ear off the cop, the camera pans from that action and just pans up to an empty sort of door frame. And all you're left with is the song stuck in the middle with you and you hear these agonizing groans of a man having his ear cut off. Now, why does Tarantino do this? He has gone on record and he has said this. He, he says, I'm paraphrasing, he is letting your imagination take over because he knows that you can fill in the details of that scene far better than he can ever show. You see, he provides the sounds and then you imagine the details. And what is left? Well, you're left horrified. You're left squirming in your seat. You're left moved with an impression. Powerful scene. That's what artists do. And here's the point. Tarantino and St. John know the same thing. If you want to leave a lasting impression on people, if you want to capture the individual, heart and all, you don't go after the intellect primarily. You go after the imagination. So, how do we protect from people from making symbols whatever we, they want to be in the book of Revelation? Or how do we know that we're getting the symbols right? You do what John did. You go to the Old Testament. That's how you know. You see, think about it this way. Commentators point out that there are 404, 404 verses in the book of Revelation. In these verses, there are 518 references to earlier Scripture. Think about that. So if you want to know what Revelation is talking about, we must, and we will, become familiar with books like Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and Exodus and the Psalms. The images that John draws from are all from the Old Testament. So to put it bluntly, no one is ready to read Revelation until they've read the other 65 books of the Bible. And I love what Eugene Peterson puts it, how he puts it in his book, Reverse Thunder. This is a money quote. The Revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the Gospel is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ. There is nothing new to say on the subject, but there is a new way to say it. I read the Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. So not only are the symbols not used for special decoding, they are used to make lasting impressions on you. Why? Here it is, because John wants to wake you up. He wants you to see. He wants us to jolt us, as it were, into seeing life as it really is. Hence the series title, Awakening Images. These are images designed to engage our imaginations, to help us to see life as it really is. So I'm going to ask you to be willing to be challenged at the level of your imagination. We're so desperately in need of this. And by using your imaginations, I don't want you to think and conceive and believe things that are unreal and therefore unseen, like fairies and the likes. That's not what I mean when I talk about imagination. 
Rather, I want you to use your imagination to see things in the mind's eye that are in fact 100% very real. And here's an illustration. I got this from someone else, but it's dead on. I want you to think of your mother's face. The color of her hair. The shape of it. I want you to think about her cheekbones and the shape of her lips. What perfume does she wear? And how does it feel and sound when she kisses your cheek? Now, you know what you've just done? You've just used your imagination. Very real, and yet, unless your mother is sitting beside you in this very moment, unseen. That's what the book of Revelation is trying to do. Getting you to engage with your imaginative powers to see life as it really is. To see Jesus as He really is right now. And so, if there at all is there's any confusion around this book, why would we study it? Why spend a semester looking at it? And turn your eyes to verse 3 where it reads this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. John is telling his friends that there is blessing herein, that there is life, that there is flourishing by reading this book and hearing it read that the blessed life is on offer to you. And why might that matter? How does the book of Revelation help us in that? I'll give you one il illustration. I don't know how many of you remember the TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? But it was this game show where contestants were asked trivia questions, and with each successive question, the dollar amount rose all the way up to $1 million. And the contestants had these lifelines, they were like these helps, where they could you know, use when they didn't know the question's answer, to you know, outsource help. One of them was to call a friend. Well, in 1999, a contestant named John Carpenter was now sitting before the million-dollar question. He still had all of his three lifelines, one of which included the phone of a friend. And the host, Regis Philbin, had just asked John, which of these U.S. presidents appeared on the TV series Laugh-In? Johnson, Nixon, Carter, or Ford? Well, Carpenter decided to use his phone friend option and called his dad on the air. Happens on the air. Well, Regis got his dad, Tom, on the phone and explained the situation of his dad and then turned it over to John to ask the question of his dad and to seek his advice. Those next 30 seconds, y'all, were awesome. Here's the script. John, you've got 30 seconds. It starts right now. John, uh... Hi, Dad. Tom says, Hi. Um, I don't really need your help. I just wanted to call you and let you know that I'm going to win a million dollars. Crowd laughs, starts cheering. And John, with eight seconds left, they talk. Love it. He says, Because the U.S. president that appeared on Laughing is Richard Nixon. That's my final answer. And Regis said, well, my gosh, I can't say, I can, all I can say is, is Debbie, that's John's wife. You're going to Paris. That's the final answer heard around the world. He's won a million dollars. Now, why do I share this story with you? 
that man John was able to live confidently because he saw how the end worked itself out. He saw himself winning a million dollars and it gave him confidence to live in the moment. Death is going to touch you. It's going to touch the friends that you love. You're going to lose your job one day. If you have children, they're going to disappoint you. And may it never be that you might lose one of your children. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when calamity and sorrow hits your life? Some of you know what that's like right now. And John is saying, you must see the book of Revelation. You must see the conquering Christ on your behalf, bleeding for you, winning for you. Because the promise of the book is that Jesus wins. And because He wins, those in Him win as well. So I'll leave you with this. What if all that John saw and wrote if all of it was something that we're deeply and intimately involved in right now, and that it was involving us right now, and that right now, just beyond what our eyes could see, there existed very real and true things that were meant to engage us in more robust faithfulness to Christ. And sitting at the very center of it all was a Lamb, Jesus. And the hands that rest on the throne upon which He sits are pierced because of His blood that He has shed for you and me. And that blood frees us from punishment into acceptance. The vision is grand, y'all. And it's a vision of just Jesus that we so desperately need in our day and age. And I'm praying that we will see what's been true all along. That Jesus loves us. That He's bled in our place. And that one day, one day, He's coming again for us. And so I'm going to try to end tonight where I want to end every sermon this semester with the closing words of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.